0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Young Conductors Podcast. We are your hosts, Sean and Cole,
1: two conductors on a mission to encourage, educate, and inspire young conductor teachers.
0: Today, we are welcoming Dr. Scott Tobias from West Virginia University, and he happens to be one of my conducting teachers, and actually, he was my very first conducting teacher in my undergrad.
1: Hmm. Um, we'll be discussing rehearsal triage for the ensembles. Don't worry, we'll dive into exactly what that means in a little bit. Uh, but before we do that, let's welcome Dr. Tobias. Yay, welcome. Hey, thank <laughs> Hello, you. Dr. Tobias.
2: Good to <laughs> both of you.
1: Yes, of course. Um, Dr. Tobias, would you mind giving us a little background about yourself and how you got to where you are today?
2: Uh, sure, we'll just do the, the brief version. Um, <laughs> did a uh, bachelor's degree in music education from Furman University in South Carolina, Uh, did a master's degree in music ed from University of Georgia, taught public school, high school band in Georgia and South Carolina for a number of years, went back to grad school at Georgia, did my uh, DMA in conducting at UGA, found my way to Appalachian State University in North Carolina, was associate director of bands there for 10 years then went down to Orlando, Florida, was director of bands at University of Central Florida for five years before finding my way to Morgantown, where I've now been for the last seven years at WVU.
0: Seven years, congratulations.
2: (laughs) Doesn't feel like seven years, does it?
0: (laughs) No, it doesn't. (laughs) Yeah, from from south to north, that's pretty cool. (laughs) Um, So thank you so much for being on here. So today, we were gonna talk about um, what Dr. Tobias likes to call rehearsal triage. Um, And there are six individual topics that we'll talk about and I'll go through those just briefly and then we'll get right into it. Uh, So the first is tone quality. The second is balance and blend. The third is intonation. The fourth is notes and rhythms. The fifth is style and articulation. And the last is musicality. And Dr. Device is going to go into all of those. Um, so why don't we go ahead and get started with tone quality?
2: Well, before we get into that, let me let me do a little preface here about uh, about this terminology and, and and why this system is kind of in place. Sure. This is something that, uh, and I'll do this really briefly here. Uh, you know, I found with young conductors, um, and maybe some veteran conductors too, but you know, especially teaching at the university level and seeing young conductors. Uh, getting it from an ensemble for the first time and feeling uh, overwhelmed. There's a lot of sensory input coming Absolutely. at you. You know, you're on <laughs> the podium and you're focused on, on the gesture and you're trying to lead the ensemble. And oftentimes I would stop and say, All right, what did you hear? What would you like to say to the ensemble? And people would say, I don't know. There's <laughs> so much coming at me at one time. And so this, this idea of, of kind of a triage was just to provide a system. Uh, our starting point to kind of help filter all that input coming into your mind, because there's a lot of information coming at one time. And so that's kind of why this is, is there. And um, the idea is to try to, and I use the word triage. Um, it's on the handout that I sent both of you, but the idea of, of a, not to get too grotesque here, but of, of a EMT coming onto an accident scene, you know, it's the same kind of an idea they've got, a lot of injuries potentially, and they have to quickly assess all of the different things that are there in front of them. What is the most need? What's the highest priority? What do I address first? Do I fix the cut on the hand or do I go to the person who's not breathing? You know, you have to make those snap decisions. Uh, So this is why we have kind of this triage and where this whole thing came from was to give the conductor, the young conductor, or maybe even a veteran conductor, uh, a system to help process All of that information coming at you at one time. So uh, the the six that you mentioned, Sean, um, in putting them in in kind of an an order, um, it's not necessarily an order of importance. It's an order of dependability, maybe. Uh, That's probably not the right word, meaning that in order for musicality to exist, and it was the number six you put on the list, it doesn't mean that it's the sixth important meaning the least important. Mm-hmm. Uh, it means right. it cannot exist without the five in front of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. If, if there's not good tone quality, if there's not good intonation, the musicality is compromised. Um, right. so, so we'll get into all that. But I thought before we get into yeah, this yeah. series, I just wanted to give kind of a preface to say, you know, where this came from and why it exists and, and what the tool was for. Um, the idea being sometimes that when you're on a podium, if you can't hear everything at once, focus on one aspect. Let's go through Mm -hmm. 16 measures and and conduct it. And maybe your ear is going to focus just on the tone quality. And then we'll come back. And then the next time around, we'll focus just on the intonation. And and Mm -hmm. that will give you a starting point. Eventually, when you do this for a long time, you'll be able to hear all of it at one time and you'll be able to assess it at one time. But anyway, that's my my, my quick preface there. But uh,
0: yeah, yeah, sure. It's definitely uh, a, a fast paced process. So I think it's really good to have these set things that you should be looking out for if you're not really aware so it's really right,
2: good. right so that's so why anyway, i put tone quality first on, on there just because um that is the essence of what we do i think if you were to ask anyone if you were to play recordings of uh, a variety of, of instrumentalists or vocalists from beginner to professional and you were to say tell me is this a beginner is this an intermediate person is this a professional person whether people realize it or not they're going to be making a judgment call probably based on the tone quality they hear.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Because if you say here's a beginning violin player or a beginning oboist, and then here's a professional oboist, the thing that's probably the, the most stark contrast, especially to a, a lay person's ears, will be the tone quality. So I always put that first. It, it's the it's the primary thing we have to focus on. And so mm-hmm. um, trying to make sure from the podium that, that even though we're, we want to – be artists and we want to shape a phrase and we want to make all this glorious music. If the tone quality doesn't sound good, if the oboe still sounds, you know, very rough in their tone quality, no one's going to care that you shape that phrase. They can't get past the sound quality. (laughs) So, um, so that's, that's where tone quality comes first, uh, Mm -hmm. on the list. I don't know how in depth you might want to look at as far as different techniques. I know our our audience here are choral and, and string and, and wind band. We could talk, an hour on each instrument or each voice type. Right. Uh, we probably won't go into all that. I would
0: I like the um if you want to talk about maybe the warm air setup and the cold air, I, I really like that uh, sure, yeah. Those processes as well.
2: Yeah with with wind instruments, um you could almost almost make a case with um with our choral friends, maybe a little bit, maybe mm-hmm. with our string friends some, uh, but just my background as a, as a wind person, wind band person, um, what you're referring to as far as air, a lot of times we talk to ensembles about wanting a warmer sound. And 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 uh, mm-hmm. usually what that means is a darker sound a lot of times, which usually has more to do with which voices and, and more balance. But as far as tone quality, people, you you hear them sometimes say, you know, use warm air. You know, use warm air and let's get a warmer sound. Mm-hmm. That doesn't work. Um, not in the way people think yeah. it does. And, and here's a simple right. thing. And we can do this on a computer screen. People watching this can do this. But the example that I've used, and I know, Sean, you've seen me do this with you, is that we have this unique ability with our human bodies to change the temperature of the air that comes out of it. And So if you were to say your hands are cold and you want to warm them up, you know, we always we do this kind of thing mm-hmm. especially here in West yeah. Virginia during the winter. <laughs> um, but if, you, but if you burn your finger, you know, and you're blowing on it, you can cool that finger off. So what we're talking about is, is changing the temperature of the air coming out. Here's the issue. When you tell mm-hmm. a wind player, like a tuba player or a trumpet player, you know, use warm air. If you put your hand in front of your, your face and you put it just an inch or so and you blow warm air, you can feel it. You feel it just fine. But if you put mm-hmm. your hand out here at arm's length and you blow warm air, you won't feel the air on your hand because the warm air does not move very fast. It does not move very far. That's why it's warm. It's it's slower coming out of your body and you've opened it okay. up. Um, whereas cold air, you know, because the way you make it colder is you make a smaller aperture and you make it really pressurized and really fast. If you put your hand here, you can feel the cold air. If you put it out here. You can still feel the cold air. Yeah. So, if, you, if you've got a tube in front of you, say, and you've got all this piping yeah. which, that the air has to go through and fill up, and you try to blow warm air and go, <laughs> it's, it's not going to get past the mouth. So what right. we're trying to say is, it's not warm air or cold air. What we're doing is, we're trying to convey the idea that we want a what I call a warm air setup. In order to get warm mm-hmm. air, you open your throat. If you try it and you go, you're opening your throat, you're opening the oral cavity. That is what you want. Aw. Oh. So, you want a warm air setup. But once you have that set up, then you want to close the aperture of your armature, and you want to blow very fast, pressurized cold air, and that's what mm-hmm. fills the instrument up, generates the vibrations, and gets the sound quality. So, if you want a warmer sound, please don't tell the ensemble use warmer air. That's not really right. <laughs> Older players probably know what you're talking about, but young middle school students are very literal, and she's like, "You're going to be going." <sighs> there's no sound. <laughs> right, so, right. So warmer yeah. setup open up as if it were warm air, aw, and keep it nice and open, but then cold air being blown through a warm air setup. And that's going to get you probably closer to the tone quality you're looking for. So, Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. From a choral standpoint, Cole, do you want to maybe th- your thoughts on that from a vocal standpoint?
1: No, I think that that definitely makes sense because we talk a lot about um, dropping the larynx and raising the soft palate. And once you get in that formation mm-hmm. like, then everything is set. And so I think that, is exactly what you're explaining there yeah. it's, for us. Yeah. We talk a lot about raising the soft palate, drop the larynx. And once that is set in the place, you can do all the yeah. things that you need to do. So, yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah. Um, I've also used warm and cold air to talk about like proper breath speed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause cl- clavicular breathing is more like cold air. Mm-hmm. And then um, intercostal breathing is more warm air. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm vibing with you here. I think this is yeah. a great, <laughs> You know, and, drop,
2: and dropping, yeah. like you're talking about, does set that, that opening up. And then when you raise up in the back, you're creating a smaller opening, which generates that pressurized
1: cold air we're talking about. So, yeah, right. it, does, it does work. Mm-hmm. I think that the warm, cold air, um, even for choral singing, um, I think that using those verbiages for younger singers is a lot more helpful than me telling a student, to you know, drop their larynx. Because they're like, what does that mean?
2: right so the
1: term feel like if you're about to fog up a window for example all the kids have done that you know before and so right. mm-hmm. i think that's a really smart idea so thanks
2: yeah. for sharing i think it makes sense yeah yeah so that that's tone quality that's, that's kind of the first level so i always tell students if you don't know anything else if you're on the podium and you're getting hit by a lot of sound if nothing else just stop for a minute and just ask yourself are the tone qualities that i'm hearing characteristic for these performers at this level of development because obviously mm-hmm. a third grader is not going to sound like a member of the Chicago symphony, right. so, <laughs> but, but there is a certain standard or expectation. And so at least listen to that, if nothing else, and then go yeah. on to the next thing. So uh, mm-hmm. the next one on the list was, was balance and blend. And, and that to me is nothing more than saying, we're, we're going from individual sound to ensemble sound. Mm-hmm. Tone quality, I think of as an individual th- uh, aspect. It's, it's what that individual sounds like, but the balance and the blend has to do with the ensemble sound? How are we taking the different parts and looking at it from two standpoints? People always confuse balance and blend. Sometimes I say people always do this. I'm talking about young conductors who've never done this before. Uh, I suppose there's some older people who might also sometimes get confused, but I, I, I use the terminology balance and blend balance in my mind at a very simple level has to do with relative volume and blend has to do with tone quality and matching tones. And trying to put it as simple as that. So if if you're hearing one part more than the other, then you're dealing with an issue of possibly balance if it's volume related or blend if it's tone related. So you have to think about those two mm-hmm. aspects there when dealing with an ensemble. Because sometimes when you hear the trumpet sticking out, it may be balanced. They may be playing too loud, but it may not be. It may be a blend issue where the, their volume is appropriate, but the tone quality is too nasal. Are closed mm-hmm. and it's out. So this one's a little trickier, but you have to think about those two um, and make sure that when you speak of it, if you say we've got a problem with balance, let's try to open and adjust our tone. Well, then you're you're not discussing balance necessarily. So if there's a problem with balance right. what you want to say is you play a little fuller, you play a little bit less, you know, mm-hmm. you sing a little more, you sing a little less. If it's a blend issue, then you can start going into horns our, our sound is a little bit tighter and more closed can we get our teeth apart and open it's to sound a little bit more like what the trombones are doing you know that's that's the mm-hmm. term i want to use there so uh, yeah. i put it second though because again with this hierarchy you can't fix the the ensemble sound and the balance and blend if you don't have good individual sounds so that's why it comes second on there it's like building a straw house out of brick it just it doesn't work <laughs> so um so that's where balance and blend for me me come in
1: well, nice. I, I do want to add, like, I'm just thinking through this, like, for young people out there that are listening to this, um, no one fix is going to be amazing for every single ensemble, you know? Mm-hmm. I think it takes mm-hmm. time and practice and a lot of um, things that don't work before you figure out, or how, how do I want to phrase this? Um, it takes a lot of time before you have enough things to fill your toolbox.
0: A lot of trial <laughs> and error.
1: Right, you're right. Yeah. I mean, I think... All three of us can say that I mean Sean and I are, are still pretty um, young conductors ourselves, but um, not one thing has worked for all of us. Um and so it's gonna take time. And so I think Dr. Tobias is giving us a lot of um, interesting things that I even I am taking away, and I might go back to my choral ensemble and try some things. So so I really mm-hmm. love this discussion thus far.
2: One more thing I'll add to that, Cole. I think you're absolutely right, is and not only is that not one thing's gonna you know work for every group, but you have to think about sometimes where you are. I mean, having worked in multiple States and and done honor bands, you know, in in multiple parts of the country, one thing that may work perfectly fine with say a middle school group or a high school group in this area may not work in the next area. Um, So yeah, you have to, you have to keep your mind open. And that's where I like to, and I'm going to jump topics here for a second. um, But that's where I think, you know, I always talk about teaching concepts and not concerts you know, mm-hmm. in our world. Yeah. Um, now, if you're if you're a professional conductor and you're watching this and you have your professional group, then, then you know, maybe your world is is the concerts and that that's where mm-hmm. you are. That makes sense. But if you're an educator, if you're if you're teaching, it's teaching concepts. And so that, Cole, we can do what you're talking about. If, if we're talking about this, this kind of rehearsal of thoughts and we we teach broad concepts, then you're able to then to look at your performers and then figure out what the details are that work within that concept for the performers that you're, you're working with at that time. So, right. yeah. And it takes time, you know, yeah. we never learn from our successes. We learn from our failures. And so be prepared to make a lot of mistakes. It's how you learn.
1: Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm also thinking like how young someone is in their career, but also like how often they're meeting their ensemble. Like if you are an elementary uh, band teacher and you only see your ensemble once or twice a week, like you may not be able to cover all six of these things. Oh, in absolutely. That- you know so like there might be like one week or one month you're working on tone quality Mm -hmm. and then you'll move on to balance and blend and so I think that is an interesting point to make also that you know I don't think even where I am now that I'm teaching college students as part of my master's degree um, I'm not focusing on all six of these things in one rehearsal Mm -hmm. hopefully in most cases by the time Way before the concert even happens, I can get to musicality. Um, but a lot of the rehearsal time is working on uh, sections one through five. <laughs> so,
2: um, but you yeah. also you might consider too that maybe for the first ten minutes you're focused on this aspect, maybe for the next ten minutes you're focused on that aspect. Yep. Maybe this piece of music needs a little bit more attention on this this part of it. But this right. piece of music you can go to this part. So mm-hmm. it's, it's it's knowing knowing when to focus on what.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. no, I really like the, the process of that, because there are several times where you have a conductor that's like, oh, well, make sure you do this crescendo here, or there's a retardando here, but the retardando is not, like, no one is playing it together, it's just all awful, and they don't address that, they're just like, well, why aren't you slowing down here, that's what you have to do, and it's like, well, maybe it's because they don't know how to do it, they don't know when to do it, so... Yeah. yeah. I think this, this process is, is really good.
2: Yeah. Uh, moving ahead, just interest of time here um, yeah, after the balance and blend intonation is, is next on, on the list for me. And again, it's not saying that it's less important. It's just in my mind, in my experience. And in my mind, I found that once you fix tone quality and once you address the balance and the blend of the ensemble intonation starts to fix itself. Because mm-hmm. then the ensemble can start to hear the fundamental, they can start to hear the overtones because we've gotten everything properly adjusted to work together. And so you will find when I work with, uh, with, with the ensemble I work with nowadays, which is a college-based ensemble, but in our warm-ups, we do a lot of chorales. And you won't hear me talk a lot about intonation, but you hear me talk a lot about tone and balance and blend. And once we address that, it's amazing how the intonation just sort of locks in. And people have that ability sometimes when people are playing out of tune it could be they don't they don't know how to play in tune but for a lot of people <laughs> I mean, it, it could be but for a lot of people <laughs> right. um you know they do they, they have a hard time understanding where the reference pitch is and so mm-hmm. fact, because your balance is off or your blend is off and tone quality they can't do it so for me i think fixing balance blend and tone quality then allows intonation to start to to fix itself or allows you yeah. from the podium to help make the adjustments, so that's mm-hmm. why it's third on my list. Not that it's third most important, but it's dependent upon the first two.
0: So that's really smart.
2: Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, I
0: like to think of it kind of. The word came to mind: scaffolding. Like this is what this reminds me of.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like each thing is is built upon the previous one.
2: Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you know, and I use the analogy just just very quickly here about uh, I've used the analogy of driving sometimes. When when a when you first learn to drive, I think for a lot of us, you know, you get in the car, you sit down, you adjust the seat, you adjust the steering wheel, you check the mirror, you fasten your seatbelt, you make all these steps, you go through about fifteen steps, then you crank the car up. <laughs> um, right. nowadays we've been driving for a while, it's not that we don't do those things, but we just it's automatic. We just hop in and it just happens, it's still processing in the back of our mind. I think with this kind of this this hierarchy or the scaffolding you know, we're talking about looking at this, looking at this, looking at this, but I think the longer you do this and the more experienced you are on the podium, you do sort of hit all six at one time. You just, you choose which one to focus on mm-hmm. as whatever the greatest need is, but you are looking at everything. The EMT coming on a crash scene is going to check your breathing, but they're not going to ignore the fact that you've got a cut on your leg. They still are aware of it. They just got to get to it when when it's appropriate to get to it. So uh, that's something else to think about. So. uh, past those three, I put notes and, um, uh, and rhythm as number four, you know, I always have somebody who always makes the comment, well, how can we then do tuning if we're not all playing the same correct note? And, and they're right. And that's why I say this is not step one, step two, step three. This is a, think of a linear kind of a thing. They're all six happening at the same time. you're breathing while your heart's beating while the blood's pumping it's all going on at the same time it's just the reason i put the notes and rhythms forth is because in our system sometimes and people who are watching may have different ways of, of rehearsing or teaching but sometimes when we're developing technique a lot of times we use repetition and that's trying to just solidify precision or solidify muscle memory or whatever if we're using a system of repetition. Let's try that again. Let's go a little quicker. Let's try it again. Let's go a little quicker to get our technique built up. If we're playing with bad intonation, bad tone, bad blend, and we're repeating it over and over and over for the sake of building technique or getting notes and rhythms, right. Then you're also repeating over and over bad sounds, bad intonation, and you're creating a habit. So I always say, let's make sure that the tone and the intonation, all it's fixed. So then we do repeat and do the repetition to build technique then we're also repeating good intonation and good tone and good balance and blend. Because mm-hmm. if you, when you try to fix all the notes and rhythms and then you go back afterwards and try to fix the tone quality, you're undoing a habit that you've it's just already gone. <laughs> already gone, yeah. So that's why for me, number four. So yes, it's important that they're playing the right note and everyone playing the correct note in order to tune it, that's important. But that's why I put it as number four is because I think you have to be careful not to build bad habits unintentionally. So let's get the first thing fixed while we're doing number four and doing that repetition that we do sometimes for, for learning complex rhythms or, or for, um, building technique.
1: Mm-hmm. Math, what are what is the bingo method and the move play method? sorry, say again? What are the bingo and move play method techniques? Oh, that's on the handout I, I gave you. Uh, bingo
2: technique. Uh, and this goes into another whole topic we could talk about. Um, right. that's okay. This is great. Uh, I love this kind of thing. Uh, And and I'm glad that you asked uh, that that question. Bingo technique for me is whenever there's a rhythm problem, if there's a complex rhythm and people are having trouble with it, nine times out of 10, it's not the notes that are the problem. It's the rests that are the problem. Mm
1: -hmm. Because
2: we tend to work in this mindset that music is about making sound and we don't realize that music is about making silence as well as making sound. And right. if you tell somebody, you know, there's a rhythm, they're having trouble with it. And you say, well, well when's the first note? And they'll say, well, it's on one. What about the second note? It's on E. That's right. When's the last note? It's on uh. Great. So do it. <laughs> well, <that's, laughs> you get that wrong. You just told me the right counts. Well, the problem was they knew it was on one E and I, but they didn't know where one E and I were in time. Mm-hmm. It's like where I grew up, you know, in the South where we'd say, you know, if you're new to town, you ask directions, they may say. We'll go down this road to where that garden used to be and then turn left right next to where Henry crashed his truck two years ago. (laughs) Those are probably legit places, but if you don't know where Henry crashed his truck, you don't know where the garden used to be, (laughs) that means nothing to you. So the student's telling you that notes on the uh of one. That's great, but if they don't know where the uh of one is, it's a problem. So back to the bingo technique, what I usually will do is it's it's using the song, the old uh, folk song. You know, there was a farmer, had a dog, and bingo was his name Oh. And then you'd sing it, B-I-N-G-O. And if you sing it the second time, those of you that grew up with a song know this, the second time you drop a letter off and you go, I-N-G-O, I-N-G-O. Then you sing it again and you go, N-G-O, N-G-O. But what are you doing when you sing it those times? In your mind, you're still thinking B-I, even though you're not saying it. So what I will do, if there's a rhythm like the one E and a, uh, have them fill in the gaps, fill in the risk, that's what's giving them problems. And let's just do one E and a two one E and a two, one E and a two, drop the and, one E, a two, one E, a two. They're still thinking the and. Right. So they're putting that place in there. And all of a sudden the notes line up where they're supposed to be because now they know where the E and the and are. That's a quick example of that. But I think, you know, it, it's about um, helping them fill in the gaps because the, the problem is never the notes. The problem is always the space um, Right, is, is what I've found over, over time. So that, that's the bingo method. Uh, if they don't know the song, you may have to teach the song to them. But I think people- <laughs> I don't know if bingo is taught anymore. And and uh, I was going to say maybe
0: kids don't really know it anymore.
2: I don't think I've ever done well,
0: bingo like that, so that was great.
2: Even if you don't know the song, <laughs> even if you don't know the song, the technique is still valid. Right. You know, right. Yeah. Right.
1: Exactly. You know, so,
2: and what was the other question you had? It was something else well, they- what about the um, the move play technique? For oh, fingers, yeah. um- oh, move play. Yeah, uh, that's a different. The concept there that's working with um making sure that that it's timing um move play for me is um you want to make sure that the fingers are moving at the same time as your tongue if articulated passages and you got to time it around sometimes the fingers is a little bit slower what i will do is i'll have them play a note and i'll just use my fingers for an example here i got a pin here they'll just they'll play a note and they'll play ta and then after they play the note short, I have them move their fingers as quick as possible. So it be like ta, move, ta, move, ta, move, ta, mm. move. And then you go fast, oh, yes. I remember ta, ta, move. Ta, move. ta, move, ta, move, ta, move, ta, move. And then you get to a point where you're not thinking about the, the subdivision with move, and it's just ta, 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 ta. And their fingers are moving slightly ahead of when they're supposed to articulate the next note.
1: Mm.
0: And it,
2: it times the, t- the finger and the tongue
0: a little bit better. Um, yeah, so that's the and move. I think that that technique goes across like almost every instrument i feel like Mm because i remember in my organ lessons dr howler we did that with like big chords if it was very fast we would play the chord and then very quickly get to the next chord then play it very quickly get to the next chord play Mm -hmm. it so i think that goes across a lot of instruments
2: Mm -hmm. even thinking about a xylophone you know you tap the note but you got to move to the next to the next uh key and then hit and you move to the next key really quickly uh mm-hmm. from a vocal standpoint i would think of that as sing the note and then setting for the next note and then sing and then set for the next note the concept works i think forever even using solfege i think going mm-hmm. to the next yeah, mm-hmm. that's the yeah, part, yeah. yeah that's what those two techniques are i think that's on that handout that i gave you yeah, yeah. Thanks, yeah. thanks, for
1: mm-hmm. answering those questions. <laughs> sure yeah
2: the yeah. uh the last two and then we'll see what other questions we have here but after i after the notes and rhythms then i added in what what You know what makes the music music? I mean, the style and the articulation would be the next thing. So that's not just the what to play and the when to play; it's the how to play. Um, And then the the last one was musicality. And again, musicality being at the end, not because it's the least important, but because it's dependent upon everything else. All of those. Um, Yeah. Um, I've heard sometimes in 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 settings before, you know, a, a young director, young teacher, first year teacher out there, and they're working with their ensemble and you know, the, the trumpets are, are louder than the tuba is and the, the saxophone sticking out and it's out of tune and they'll stop the ensemble and they'll say, can we do a little bit more of a shape to that phrase? <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, but no one's really <laughs> going to care because they can't get past the fact that all they hear is that one saxophone part and the trumpet part and that, you know, it's out of tune. And so, yeah. you know, that's the order and that's the reason for that that triage, again, from a triage standpoint let's get them breathing and the heart pumping first then we can set the broken bone then we can you know we kind of go mm-hmm. through our, our priority we're going to fix it all but you know setting that broken foot it's not going to do a whole lot of good if you didn't get them breathing um you know yeah. it's, it's not going to matter so um you know shaping that phrase it, it's not going to matter a whole lot if they're out of tune with the bad tone quality and, and all of that's wrong so that's where mm-hmm. i put the, the musicality at the bottom and I distinguish the musicality as a separate item from style and articulation because it's possible to play the right style and articulation and still not be musical
0: mm-hmm.
2: because musicality does not depend simply on technical perfection. Mm-hmm. It, it goes beyond that, you know. And that's the phrase that I think both of you may have heard me say sometimes before. Is people don't come to a concert to hear the music; they come to a concert to feel the music. Yeah. And so it's possible to play a concert, to play all the notes, all the rhythms, all the styles, all the articulations, all the dynamics, absolutely perfect what's on the page, and still come away feeling flat. It's just there's nothing there. Yeah. So there's a human element in there. So for me, style and articulation falls more into the the technical side. Are you playing the, the note long, short, the right style? But the musicality is where we bring, you know, this. We bring the bring the mm-hmm. heart to it. Um and so that's why those those two are separate. Mm-hmm. yeah but that's just again it's just a it's a it's a checklist uh, I, I don't by the time you're in your fifth sixth seventh year on a podium i don't advocate that you spend a whole day just going through and checking tone qualities you know it's <laughs> that. But, but for the yeah. person who stands up from an ensemble the first the first year and goes i just don't know what to say i I can't filter it everything's coming at me at once i can't tell if they're in tune or not i can't tell if they're playing the right mm-hmm. note or not. it's just too much information that's where this this prioritization, I think helps a little bit just say, all right, just stop for a second, go back and run it again and just focus on this one aspect and let's just see what you come up with. And that's, that's where this whole thought process kind of came from is to try to help the person there. But as you get older, I think it's still a good concept. It, it checks us sometimes because of what you said, Sean, if you're on the podium and you're telling someone um, the musical aspects, because you're trying to be um, the musical director of the ensemble, You can't forget Mm -hmm. to check the other items. Sometimes you get so wrapped up in in showing your interpretation and trying to make music out of it that you fail to pay attention to the fact that the balance may be off or something else. Right. You know, you you have that extra set of ears in the audience sometimes listening during a dress rehearsal and they'll tell you, whoa, we got too much of this, too much of that. And sometimes you're thinking, really? I didn't notice because you were so worried about trying to do the musical aspect. So this, this system is just kind of a way to check and make sure that everything is there, you know, that you, yeah. you cover all, all of it. So anyway, hope that helps a little bit.
0: No, yeah, I absolutely. <laughs> I think this is perfect for, for our audience. Like our audience, I would say is either like the same age as Cole and I, or even younger. So this is very helpful for emerging conductors. And even how you said veteran conductors, I think this is, could be a checklist for them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to add, correct me if I'm wrong. You might have already said this, but mm-hmm. I know, like being in your ensemble, we hit a lot of these things in our warm up, like in our corral warm up. We did a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think um, you know if you have you have your own ensemble now. Maybe like leave that amount of time, like fifteen minutes for, for a warm up, um, and Doctor Tobias calls it ensemble development, which instead of a warm up, which I think is a really cool idea. Um, so yeah, leave time to do those type of things, right mm-hmm. at the beginning of rehearsal, because in the long run, it's very beneficial for the repertoire that you're going to get into.
2: Absolutely, and that, that's why I call it ensemble development, because if you think of it as a warm up, you're thinking of it more as a, a pragmatic. We're, we're getting warm air on in the instruments we are loosening our armature and you move on. But, you know, educational psychologists will tell you, and I think all of us will agree. Um, we are most focused at the first 10 or 15 minutes of a class or a meeting or a, whatever we do in life. You know, after that time, we start to wane. It's just how the brain works. And so that's your prime teaching time.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
2: and I've always found if you can teach these concepts again, teaching concepts at the beginning, then you can spend more time on the music later on because you don't have to fix things. If you teach students how to hear the right balance, can you teach them how to hear intonation and and how their instruments work and what to do to adjust that if they can learn that in these ensemble development times, the beginning, then when you get into the rest of the rehearsal, you don't have to stop and worry about that. They're fixing it on their own because you've taught them how to do that. Now you can spend the time over the, you know, the interpretation and the music stuff. So Mm-hmm. Yeah, we I stopped calling it warm-ups a long time ago. It's, it's ensemble yeah. development because we're trying to develop the ensemble in whatever way they need. Develop a better sound, develop better uh, listening, whatever it
0: might happen to be.
1: Mm. It's very yeah. clever.
0: I, I remember seeing it on the board for the first time and I was like, hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> then I like kind of fell in love with it. I was like, oh yeah, that's actually really great. Mm-hmm. Um, And one thing came to mind during when you were talking about notes and rhythms and timing. Mm-hmm. I do remember during our ensemble development you sometimes would do an exercise where you would give us a downbeat we all play like a concert b flat or something right. and then you would say come back in on the seventh beat oh yeah without you conducting and then we right. would all just have to you know really focus and subdivide and the first time we were like really bad at it like mm-hmm. it's a hard thing to do so mm-hmm. you know that's something else that people could do with their own ensembles as well
2: yeah i mean within each of these and, and that's why i think i mentioned to you call this handout that I, I shared with the two of you in preference uh, in, in preparation of talking today um you know each topic there, there's a whole series of exercises we could talk about and suggest as to how to address each one of these right now in the time we have we're just kind of giving you the, the six bullet points each bullet point could be a whole hour but the exercise you right. are talking, talking about sean is it comes from ed lisk If anyone wants to look that up, his name is Ed Lisk, L-I-S-K. He has a book called Alternative Rehearsal Techniques. And um, the exercise you're talking about is one where you, um, in a very easy way of doing it, let's play a note or a chord. Let's do it for four beats, and I'll conduct it first of all. So let's just play a B-flat chord for four beats, and then we're going to release, and we're going to rest or have silence for five beats. And then we're going to come back in again and play it for four beats mm-hmm. and then we'll release. It's important that the, that the silence be an odd number because humans, we tend to feel the evens. And so we can cheat a little bit by feeling things. And so you start okay. off by conducting it, you know, and, and I'll conduct and then we'll release and we'll do silence for five beats and then we'll come back in for four. Then you move to it where I'll give you four for nothing. I'll give you one, two, three, four, and then have you do it and I won't conduct you can't tap your foot you can't make a sound it's all in silence internalizing the pulse to see if they come back in at the right time Mm -hmm. and then eventually you move from giving them four to just giving them prep can they find the tempo off of a prep and then do that and it's just it's building internal pulse and ensemble precision so exercises like that and there's there's a thousand we could do for each one of these bullet points
0: yeah absolutely yeah well i think this was a really great base for people to always come back to um, like a good checklist to make sure they're, they're always hitting these things, especially Mm -hmm. young conductors who are not really sure what to do or just overwhelmed because it is very overwhelming the first couple of times Mm -hmm. that you get on the podium. Mm -hmm.
2: Um, And we all know what we end up finding out. They get on the podium and, and, you know, you see somebody will conduct and they'll stop and they'll go, okay. um, Let's do it again. (laughs) <laughs> and they'll play again, you know, and then they'll exactly. stop and they'll go, all right. Um let's do that one more time. they'll <laughs> go again, you know, because it's just because you're trying to process. And so I think this this helps avoid, mm-hmm. you know, avoid that um that trap that we all fall into, you know. It's 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 kind of no, definitely a good foundation,
1: I think. So yeah. thank you so much for Absolutely. sharing. Absolutely. Oh, my pleasure.
0: My pleasure. Yeah. Yeah, this was great. Um do you have any parting advice for For young conductors that you'd like to say,
2: Um, let me give you kind of a quick five bullet point. And again, this is just giving you general things. This probably leads to more questions. You'll probably hear this and go, "Well, then, how do I do that?" (laughs) (laughs) Another day, we'll we'll find another time to talk about it more. Right. But, right. um, But if if you want to, you know, your goal is to have an efficient and effective rehearsal, which leads to a musical performance. This is the quick thing you have to make sure you can do. Just just five quick points um in order to have an effective and efficient rehearsal number one know the score people sometimes don't want to put in the time it takes to really know the score when i say know the score i mean know it inside and out so don't be afraid to put in the time you say well i've spent hours and i'm only two pages in then you're doing it correctly you know so so know the score because if you don't know what it is you're trying to produce then you're kind of just wasting time so know the score Mm -hmm. that's step one number two know the instruments or the voice. In other words, how does a trumpet work? How does a flute work? How does the voice work? You've just got to know that information. If you don't know that, then you can't help the players, especially if you're the teacher. So know the score, know the sound production technique. How do you, it's one thing to say to the the strings, let's get a fuller, richer sound. Okay. Mm -hmm. How do they do that? If you don't know, then everyone's up the creek. So know the instruments, know the score. Number three, know your players. That will take some time, but when I say know your players, know who they are, know what their level is, know their process of learning, because everyone learns different. You may know that this student needs a lot of encouragement and a lot of positivity. This student only works well under pressure. This student likes structure. This person likes a little bit more freedom. You just got to know your people, because otherwise you can't Mm -hmm. communicate with them. So know the score, know the instruments, and know your people. And then from all that, have a plan. You may not stick with it but always have a plan. All right. Plans are meant to be adjusted. And then number five, just don't forget what the end goal is. And that is music's not meant to be heard. It's meant to be felt. So Mm -hmm. get those five things, score, instrument, players, plan,
0: heart. You'll be okay. Great. So thank you so much, Dr. Tobias. We really appreciate you coming on and and sharing this.
2: Oh, thank you all.
0: Um, Yeah, absolutely. So we'll move into our, our very last thing. Uh, what Cole and I like to do is share two conductors to watch um, that we, that we like to watch. So my conductor, I probably will butcher his last name, um, but it's Klaus Michela. He is 27 years old. Talk about young conductors. Um, And he's, he's conducted all over right now. He's the chief conductor of the Oslo Philharmonic. Um, I'm pretty sure he's still the chief conductor. I might have to look that up, but I think he is. Um, one of my favorite videos is him conducting uh, Beethoven 9. So if you want to check out that video, it's it's really great. Hmm.
1: Mine is Dr. Daniel Barra at the University of Georgia, which is Dr. Tobias's alma mater, <laughs> um, coincidence. <laughs> Um, I worked with Dr. Barra, um, back in 2019 in a a master Um, and I happened to be in the, um, ensemble that he was conducting as well. And I, I picked him because he really looks like the music when he's conducting, which I think is a goal for all of us. Um, but he not only looked like the music, but he also looked like the style. And so I challenge y'all to, um, look up some videos of him and um, he's also a really great person. So if you hear any videos of him chatting, um. He's really charismatic. So um, yeah, thanks again to Dr. Tobias for joining us today. Thank you. Um, and thanks again, everyone, for watching. So we hope you have a fantastic rest of your day. And until next time, y'all, bye. Thank you.